your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. On a Wednesday, I'm Rick Solom. Grant Bills in the studio, the eye candy on Facebook Live. That's how you're watching. Another easy way to watch, not watch, listen, WIZM app. Download that on however you – I got an Android, so the the app, the Google App Store, Play Store, I think it's called, and super easy. You get it, you hit the play button when the app opens, and a little commercial plays, and boom, you hear the show just like that. You can just put it in your pocket and walk, walk your dog. 608-785-7914, the talk and text line if you want to get in here. Uh, we, we are bringing in – Mayo Clinic pediatrician in a little bit at about the bottom, the, the second half of the show, the bottom of the hour. I think that's the radio term for that. Dr. Jennifer Brum, she's been a pediatrician at Mayo for 24 years. And we're going to talk about uh, mental health and stress and, you know, parents with their kids at home all day. So, and if you have questions, give Grant a call 608 785 7914. Tell him what your question is. And we'll make Grant the overseer on whether or not you will be able to talk to Dr. Jennifer Brum. Texts are obviously great. I, I feel so I feel so uncomfortable trying to patch through somebody on the phone to a guest who's already on the phone. So just a heads up to our callers. I, I would love for you to be able to speak to our guest. Ideally, the guest would be in studio and they could have the headset on and they could listen to you. But it's a little bit tough. So if you could text your questions in, that would be awesome. Or if you want to call in and ask them to me, I will try to pass them along. But Probably when we have a guest, I'm not going to be able to get you on the phone because there's so many moving parts. Rick's already over there in that studio. I'm over here. Like we got <laughs> yeah, to try to keep it simple. We can't see each other. the 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 thing with bringing bringing on uh, Dr. Brum and her being a pediatrician is I'm not a parent and you're not a parent, Grant. So I feel like a lot of people with kids out there might actually have questions when it comes to. Uh, stuff like vaccinations and how to deal with the COVID pandemic in terms of, you know, from a kid's perspective, right? Like just trying to get them maybe out of that thought process all the time, thinking about the virus, because that's all we do. We think about the virus all the time. And that's what we're going to talk about here in about after Grant does the news. We're going to make Grant do the news twice today. Um, But Grant, I don't know if you saw this yet. I put it on WKTYsports.com. And we'll just change it up. We're just gonna we're gonna get away from the virus for a minute. Packer fans, America's most passionate, according to a new top ten by Forbes. Did you see this? I did. I and we're I'm gonna talk about it in our newscast at at either five fifteen or five thirty. So if you haven't read the details, I it's so difficult to to measure like who has the best fans. You know what I mean? I think Packers fans are definitely passionate. They definitely get upset and they definitely love to celebrate. They ride the highs and the lows with their team. But how do you measure fandom? I suppose I should I should read more. Well, I did you, check it out, but I think passionate is a word there. That's that's kind of uh, it could be used different ways. So I've been to about ten Packer games mm-hmm. in my life at Lambeau, and a lot a lot back in the day. So the Packers are also if I've been to ten, they're ten and zero. I'm guessing I've been to like eight or ten. Yeah. They're they're undefeated when I go to a game, right? I've seen Brett Favre boot off the field twice at halftime. Like boot him off the field because they're you know because he's Brett Favre right like he he's the interception master the turnover master I think he still leads the the all time yeah I think he's still the all time leader in interceptions um, and then only of course if they're ten and zero only to see Brett Favre right win the game in the second half of the the in the second half yeah so the idea that is that passion from a fan to boo <laughs> to boo their their you know Hall of Fame quarterback off the field at halftime 
only to see him win the game and then everything's good. Is that passion or is that a bandwagon fan? Passion, I, 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 passion is an interesting thing, Rick. It's it depends probably on who you asked. Just taking a second look at this to remind myself. So Forbes used like ticket sales. And naturally, the Packers are going to win because they have like a 30-year waiting list for their season tickets and every single game is sold out. I don't know if that's... That is unique to the Packers. I mean, there, there aren't a lot of empty seats at any NFL games unless the team is terrible and, and they're the, I don't know, the Cincinnati Bengals or the Cleveland Browns. But the way the Packers have always had people on the wait list for their tickets and people will sign up and wait years and years and years and they get the postcard in the mail saying, hey, you're, you know, 30,000 people away and we get excited about the, that and, and tuck that note away. Packers fans are, are definitely a little bit different in that regard. It would be interesting to know the formula, too, with how they're they're rating this, you know, because the Packers are going to beat every team in the world, right, in attendance because all – not because you can go by ticket sales or you can go by attendance, right? And I would guess that the ta- the Packer games attendance wise are probably packed pretty much at capacity every game. Would you say? Wouldn't you say? Yeah, like Packers fans will fill up every game. They'll have their tickets. They'll go to the game. That's a sense of pride. Sometimes they boo. They don't really like to stand up. I've talked about that on my show, and it's a touchy topic because Brewers fans like to sit down. Bucks and Packers fans like to sit down. Whereas if you go to another stadium, fans are standing yeah. for a good chunk of the game. So it just depends. Every fan base has their quirks. I don't know if it makes one fan base better or worse, but you can never, never uh, count out Packers fans for for filling up Lambeau and, and looking to buy tickets. Yeah, That's always going to be part of this formula is attendance based on capacity reached not ticket sales you know yep. a sellout is way different than capacity reach like i remember when the the lacrosse center had uh it was a arena league football this one you might not even been here at that time and when i was working for the tribute i have to i have to cover these games and i would ask the guy in charge the pr guy whatever you the media guy hey what was what were uh what was how many people were at the game and he'd give me like a f- number around five thousand. And I'm at the stadium, and I'm looking around. I'm like, dude, there's like 400 people here. Like, yeah. what are you talking about, 5,000? And that's because they they counted like ticket sales, quote unquote sales. Because if you ever went to TGI Fridays around the time that they, those games were happening, they would they would be giving away tickets all the time. So there would be like 30 tickets to give away, you know, at TGI Fridays, which is now closed, by the way. So kind of interesting. Non essential business. <laughs> no, it's the same at Brewer Games, right? They'll no, put, literally closed. They well, shut yeah. down. <laughs> literally closed. That too. Like the one at Miller Park that also shut down. But and and obviously they renamed it. They're redoing it. But they'll put up the the attendance numbers at the Brewer game, and everybody tries to guess which which one is the correct number. And it's typically a couple thousand over who's actually in the stadium because they count tickets sailed that weren't claimed. Right. Right. So that that number is always a little bit misleading. But Packers fans, man, they boo. They don't like to stand up, but they will never, ever let their season tickets go. And and if you go by that measure, the, the fan base is incredible. Yeah, this story also says, uh, it's on WKTYsports.com, 99% of the current holders renew every year. So that, you know, 130,000 people on the waiting list, uh, only 1% of those get accepted the next year. So I'm on the list. It's I'm, It's been a long wait. 99% of 130, 1% of 137,000 is what, 13 tickets or one, one ticket, 13 tickets a year, 137 tickets a year. I can't move the decimals, but uh, yeah. So that, that top 10, the Packers Patriots, number two, there isn't uh golden state number seven. That's weird. Very recent, but recency bias. Here. Yeah. Um, no base uh, Boston Red Sox, bottom of the list, number 10. So, all right, let's take a, let's take a break and let you do the news grant and um. Do we have? I missed this. Do we have a caller? Well, we do. Do you want to talk to Eric from Sparta before okay. the break? Yeah, you want we'll to wait bring, till after. You, well, let's bring him on because I kind of yeah. I can guess what we're going to do. Do you think he's going to get mad that we're talking about sports? Yep. All right, Eric, you're on with Rick. Go ahead. 
Yeah, as well, sports day, huh? What about uh, Governor Evers' uh, illegal uh, usurpation of uh, American civil rights? You, you get to talk about sports all day. You got to talk about what's really going on in the world. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. We are going to talk about Governor Evers. That's actually our big topic I, today. I, I brought it up at the beginning of the show. <laughs> I said we're going to get into this. Uh, maybe I didn't say it specifically, but uh, you know, the it looks like the right and the left have come up with plans, right, to quote unquote reopen the state or close the state, however you want to do it. But we can break down this. Uh, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss he outlined some possible changes. Uh, we'll do that after Grant does the news. All right, we'll be back right here on Wisdom. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. We're going to get in here 608 785 7914, the talk and text line. Grant's ready to take your calls. If you guys got ideas for reopening the state, as Republicans have met, uh, I believe they met on Monday with the Evers administration to talk about plans to reopen the state. That, that was the first meeting that they've had together, which I thought was odd. The idea that they <laughs> it's been two months, we've, we've been locked down, right? Maybe a little, uh, a month and a half or so. And our legislature and our governor haven't met. I don't know if they meet in person. Maybe they don't want to meet in person, but they, you know, somehow meet. You guys, why aren't you meeting? They did that Monday, at the same time that the uh, GOP sent the stay-at-home order to directly to the state supreme court. And I talked to UW Lacrosse political science professor Anthony Tregoski. I think yesterday, just I, I wanted to gauge, you know, what, what he thought so far of the Supreme Court. And he said they pro- they might make a ruling maybe by the end of the week or next week. So it, it, it kind of rolling through that real quickly. And if they take if they really if they take any more time, then the, the stay at home order is going to be over. Uh, it'll be over uh, May 26 at this point. Grant, I sent you that article it was. Uh, as I clear my throat with WPR article. Yeah, um, there's just kind of the, the the first one I've seen today, just on um, some some outlined plans from Speaker Robin Voss. Uh, you know, as they as they they finally have, as they've argued that we need to open up the state. The the Republicans are, keep arguing that, but they haven't. Like, here's what we need to do. Like, Evers obviously has a plan to reopen the state. It's called the Badger Bounce Back Plan. It's kind of this gradual reopening and it's got to meet federal mandates because there's federal guidelines you you need to be at this certain criteria to to do these things and the state hasn't met that criteria yet so but the republicans have finally like put out a plan for for how to slowly reopen and i don't know you you had some stuff that stuck out to you the the one that the the you know the robin voss he you you like this quote grant but um robin voss said uh where did it go? Uh, I don't understand. Nope, that's not it. Uh, the the one with Milwaukee. Where did it yeah, go? Yeah, he said, let's start to turn the dial as opposed to treating every part of the state like it's Milwaukee. Because if we wait for Milwaukee and Brown County to be the indicator, it's going to be a long time potentially before Wisconsin can open up. I Look, say what you want about Robin Voss, and there's a lot of interesting quotations and nuggets from this piece that I didn't expect when I opened it up. I was actually caught off guard by a lot of this. But that is a statement that I wholeheartedly agree with. I understand things are severe in Milwaukee and in Brown County and Green Bay, and we can include Dane County and Madison as well. And I'm not downplaying the importance and the issue in those counties specifically. But for the rest of the state, what are you going to tell people in lacrosse? 
And what are you going to tell people in the Northwoods up by Superior and, and people down in Prairie du Chien and in Vernon County where they have like three cases? W- w- what are you going to tell those people? And I just appreciate Robin Voss bringing that up because I think it's it's really, really important. Yeah, on the flip side, uh, he, you know, Milwaukee, Milwaukee's always been hit hard, right, from this from this thing for since from the onset. And, the, you know, as they, we slowly tried to, to figure out what to do, you know, they're 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 leveling off a little bit. But Brown County, you, you just throw that in there. Brown County's been just just been hit because of all those meat processing plants and you know all those workers and working conditions. It, w- it will be interesting to see uh, if anything changes in the way that we do some of these businesses and uh, you know uh, more or less pack people in to uh, to work their tails off at, at places like these meat plant meat packing plants because. Um, as soon as the virus hits in there, in there, they they go down, and we're seeing this in Minnesota too. I, I want to say that all but like about 150 cases in Minnesota and Iowa as well. I think uh, of the deaths, not cases, but of deaths, have been older people. And and Minnesota, I think there's a drastic difference in the number of people in uh, quote unquote old folks homes. I don't. There's so many different ways to to quantify that. So I'm going to do the assisted uh, care facility. Yeah, senior living, assisted care, long term care facility. Right. So you know, however you want to categorize that, uh, most of the deaths in Minnesota have come from those places, and you know, we're not seeing that in La Crosse County. But as you know, if for for some reason, and and we're taking precautions to keep those people safe, right? To keep uh, keep people out of those places, to keep the virus out of there. But um, and, you know, Winona County, obviously the closest uh, example of that at one point. So Winona County has 16 deaths from the virus right now. At least 10 of those have come from uh, one uh, assisted living or senior care facility. So 10 of the 16, at least from what we know, all coming from the same facility. So, you know, it's it's great that that we can we can start to gauge how to open this up. But when Voss throws Brown County in there, Brown County just got hit. And then boom, all of a sudden the numbers go crazy. Yeah. And so if we were, you know, there's, we, we do, we really have to think about gradually changing some things. You know, Voss says, I don't understand how you can go get, go, uh, what does he say? I don't understand how you can go and get a key made at Walmart or buy flowers for Mother's Day. But somehow if you would go to a flower shop, or a key shop that would be a major threat to public health. It's a really good point. Um, yeah, those places are also you know not as busy. They're they're a little smaller. I think they the, the staff is is smaller there. So the idea that you know mom and pop shops would have to do a lot more work on their own to disinfect and and all that jazz, right? Because as soon as you get a customer in there, you know Walmart's just flooded with customers. Menards, I was there the. The on on Monday, I believe, and and the parking lot was full. So I'm like, yeah, okay. But they have a, like a giant staff of, of of workers to disinfect, you know, and and clean. So that, it might be hard on mom and pop shops. Yeah, and that's that's where like some federal funding, some state funding would come in to kind of help them maybe alleviate uh, some of that workload, or at least give them some monetary benefits to to be able to buy supplies to to keep those places safe. So. Um, just just saying, hey, why can't those places be open? But on the flip side, like, hey, what are you going to do for those places to help them keep open? Because Walmart makes billions of dollars. You know that that's the, the I think it's the biggest business in in the U.S. and I think it hires the most people. And uh, they clearly have enough money to buy cleaning supplies because they're all they could just grab them off the shelf before before you put them out, right? So like these mom and pop shops, there, there's there's a plan there, like 
there there needs to be a little bit more of a plan on how you you keep those pla- places propped up a little bit in in terms of keeping people safe that go into those stores. Well, and, and I agree, and I want to say two things, and we do have Eric on the phone, and I want to get to him. Two things. First, about the mom and pop shop. The idea that there's they have a bigger staff and they have more resources. Well, yeah, that also means more people are in the building, right? So if a florist shop can be run by, as you said, mom and pop, let's say it's a husband and wife that own the store, they can control at least their employees coming in and out. They know who's coming in and out, right? So you don't you don't have droves of employees on different days and different shifts. So that's an advantage, right, for a small business like that. Obviously, they face certain challenges as well, but but you do have to recognize both sides of that coin. And then also to go back to the Robin Voss quote, how he included Brown County, because it's important. Milwaukee County is disadvantaged in its own way, unlike La Crosse or Eau Claire or, 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 or Madison's probably in the same boat. They're, they're big cities and people are packed in tight, right? People are living on top of each other in big apartment buildings and all the houses are close together. La Crosse isn't like that. Milwaukee is unique in that way. Brown County has this outbreak because they have manufacturing. They have warehouses. They're not the only town in the state that has large industry, right? We have Quick Trip. We have, in my hometown, there's a Walmart distribution center, right? There's a window company. There's a glass factory. Yeah, that's have- that's common throughout the entire state. That's not just Brown County. So to say that Brown County is the only county that could be affected, where whereas I agree with the overall sentiment of what Robin Voss has to say, Brown County is not its own thing, right? There's manufacturing all over the place. So yeah, we do have to look a little bit more carefully at Brown County, but I yeah. do agree with what he says about Milwaukee. What I'm saying about Brown County is they were, you know, two weeks ago, they were good. And then all of a sudden, boom. Like, yeah. That's how fast and how unpredictable this thing is. So uh, this could have been La Crosse County just as easily. I can't say for exactly. sure because exactly. the train company had someone uh, in, a, in one of their plants, and I don't know how they're packed in there, and they closed that plant just like that. So they were w- way ahead of the game. And, you know, you got to give it you got to give them some credit there because the way this looks uh, at other processing plants and other, you know, manufacturing plants uh, across the nation, across the world, if you want, uh, you know, the virus gets into those places and boom, like we see, an, a, you know, an outbreak, so to speak. And, uh, you know, they they shut it down. So it easily could have been could have been here and it easily still could happen if if it just, you know, like there, there's just that community spread or there's just that. If somebody gets it in a place where there's a lot of other people and then those people leave and they're you're uh, asymptomatic for so many days, uh, one of those meat processing plants had hundreds of people uh, tested positive for the virus and they were all asymptomatic. So we don't even know who has the virus. So. Exactly. And, and that's my whole point. Robin Voss can treat Milwaukee separately because that's a big city that faces challenges yeah. that 99 percent of the state doesn't. There's manufacturing plants all over the state. So Brown County, instead of an exception, let's treat that as an example and maybe try to, to, to build our plan around that because we don't want that happening at train or at Quick Trip, like you said. And that's a very real possibility. Yeah. And just south of here, Allen McKee County, the top right corner of Iowa. 80, uh, 98 cases as of yesterday. I, I looked today earlier and it was still at 98. So they're, they have 98 cases and then all the counties around them in Iowa have 23, 18, and 18 as of yesterday. So Alamakee County, 98 cases. Like what? Okay. So, the, I mean, just another example of like how just uh, unpredictable this virus is. All right. Let's, let's break for news. Scott's comments coming up. Grant's going to do the news again. And then we're going to come back and talk with pediatrician Dr. Jennifer Brum of Mayo Health System in right here in La Crosse. And uh, if you guys have questions, parents out there, you want to you want to know how to deal with this virus and with your kids in that relation, uh, shoot us a text, 608-785-7914, or bug Grant on the phone. All right, we'll be back right here on Wisdom. 
All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. You got a question for Dr. Jennifer Brum, pediatrician of 24 years at Mayo. Actually, I don't know if she's been at Mayo 24 years, but she's a pediatrician of 24 years. Shoot us a text, give Grant a call, and we'll put you on 608-785-7914. How's it going, Dr. Brum? Great, great. Did I sp- through all this. I, I, I keep doing that because uh, nobody's doing great, right? Like you say that because, the, but everyone's doing. Meh, I'm doing okay. Every considering everything, yeah. Of course, you put that out. Like, did I pronounce that right? I guess I, it's Brum, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. I want to make sure. I know you said on the phone that I forgot to like phonetically spell it out when I was uh, talking to you earlier. <laughs> um, okay, so you're a pediatrician, and things have changed. We 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 always kind of do that. Everyone knows things have changed. So can you just maybe give us a rundown on how your job has changed in the last couple of months? Well. We have started doing a lot more um, video visits and phone visits. We've been um, having the pleasure of um, seeing our patients at home, uh, which has been fun. Children are a lot less fearful of doctor when they see us on a screen than when they're in person in our office, so that's been interesting. Um, we've really tried to create a clean environment in our office where kids can come in when they're um well for their well visits and baby checkups and that type of thing. So we're still doing all the same work, just in a little different way. We're still giving checkups and shots and things like that, but um, trying to do it in a way that won't um, expose people to the virus, the doctors, the nurses, or the patients. Um, So it's been a big change, uh, something we wouldn't have imagined even just a few months ago, a lot of um, different ways to reach patients and making sure we're taking care of them in this difficult time. Now, we had Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald on with us Monday from Mayo. So we have double Mayo week, but uh, it, <laughs> it was kind of a, if people watch Seinfeld, kind of a jerk store question we had after he left. We were like, oh, but the the, the idea that you guys do a lot of uh, telehealth care, I guess maybe is the best way to call that. And it would be mm-hmm. weird to, I mean, hey, hey, child of five years old, get on, get on this Zoom call with me and let's do some telehealth. Right? Yeah, but, but what are the biggest? Um, what, a lot of times, even for checkups in person for kids, we're just kind of observing their behavior, their growth, their um, development, how they're doing, and um, talking to the parents while we're doing that, educating parents, and so all of those things are pretty much the same. Instead of being kind of fearful of the doctor, kids are dancing and singing and showing me their pets and that type of thing. Um, so it's pretty similar that way. Um, it is hard because. Like you said, children aren't always interested in um, talking to the doctor, that type of thing. And so um, we don't have a physical exam, but parents are pretty good at reading their children and telling us what's wrong. And so it's been a pretty effective um, substitute for our usual process. And some of the things we've done are probably going to stick around for, for good, I think. Yeah, what what you know? You mentioned physical exam. How important is that? Be, even with you know, aside from children, just everybody that's telehealthing isn't getting a physical exam. We had a caller on Monday after Fitzgerald left, kind of ask us about that. Hey, you're not doing blood pressure. You're not doing uh, all that other stuff that I remember. I haven't gone to the doctor in a while, but I you know all that stuff the nurse comes in and does before the actual checkup. Is that stuff really that important? Are we do are we really missing out there, or do you do that in a, some kind of alternative way or later or what? Yeah, I think it's going to evolve over time. Right now, um, we aren't, for the most part, able to get blood pressure. Sometimes for adults or people with chronic blood pressure problems, they do have a machine at home and they're able to do that. Um, We are sending out oxygen monitors to people's houses, scales for babies to be weighed on. Um, So some of that information is pretty important. Um, For checkups, when we 
we're kind of back and doing them in person now in our office, but we'd have the parents stand the child up to the wall and measure it with a tape measure and, you know, stand on the scale with the child and then weigh themselves without and, you know, see the difference in the weight. So that is pretty important, the measurements for children. And for kids over age three, we do monitor the blood pressure. It's not as common to have high blood pressure as in older people. Um, so I, I think we're going to have to use technology to solve some of these issues because, um, so far, patients are giving us really positive feedback on being able to have video visits. Um, it's been popular uh, yeah, with patients. I would, yeah, I would imagine it must be way better for to, to do a children's video visit as long as you can get them to, hey, can you focus on this TV for a minute? Right. Um, um, yeah. Are, yeah, I think, um, you know, as we get better technology, probably pretty soon there'll be something you can hook up to your iPhone that we can listen to your heart and measure your blood pressure with. Um, well, we'll get there, I think, pretty quickly, quicker than we would have anticipated before COVID-19. Yeah, I was just going to make the joke, when are we going to get the blood pressure app on, on our phones? Um, right. Are you frustrated? Right. This is the other jerk store type Seinfeld question that we had after Dr. Fitzgerald left Monday. So now I'm brunting you with all these questions. But um, <laughs> are you frustrated as a doctor? You've been Have you been at Mayo for 24 years or just in general? Yes. Okay. Yes, oh. I've been at Mayo for 24 years. Um, are you frustrated you know, that hospitals... It's hard. I think it's a big change for us, but... Um, you know, we're about doing what our patients need. So in this time of need, we're trying to adapt to a difficult situation and um, do what's best for our patients. So it's been a challenge to learn. Um, I've had a few, you know, funny things on, on the screen, you know, like you see the ones on the internet where the kid walks in on it. Once I opened up my Zoom meeting and there was like this night sky in the background and it looked like I was under the stars, and the patient's kind of like, what's going on there? <laughs> Are you frustrated um, at all that? So it's been a challenge learning the technology, but um, I think it's good. It's good for us to, you know, really push the limit of what we can do and try to be efficient and safe and um, I think for the most part, patients are enjoying it. I understand there's like a safety precaution here and, and trying to keep the, the virus away from people. But ha- have you been frustrated at all that hospitals weren't deemed a quote-unquote essential business and should just remain open? Well, we did. We did stay open. We were still seeing essential things in our office through the whole thing. Um, but we were trying to restrict the exposure of the staff because if people got sick, then they couldn't take care of the sickest patients we were expecting. Um, So we were open every day, you know, of our normal hours this whole time. But what we tried to do was screen people, and if they were showing symptoms that could be consistent with the COVID-19, try to bring them into a situation where everybody's prepared for that, where they have full PPE. And we couldn't do that for every single patient if they didn't have a risk because we didn't have enough equipment um, of PPE and staff to do that. So we um, were doing that localized pockets, like in the urgent care here in La Crosse in our Holman Clinic. And then we were people who screened negative um, by questions and symptoms. We were bringing them into the sites where we called clean clinic, where there's less exposure. Um, you know, and now we're having people wear masks and we're constantly cleaning the exam rooms between every single patient and the waiting room every 20 minutes or something. It's it's a whole new level, um, but it took us a while to adapt to that and learn enough about the virus that we knew what was safe. I think that was the hardest part, not 
knowing what was safe to do and how we can protect our patients. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely the, uh, the the whole stepping stone of learning what, what the virus is capable of. Uh, speaking with Dr. Jennifer Brum, a pediatrician at Mayo for 24 years, um, when it comes to this virus and dealing with kids, I know you, you we kind of talked beforehand, but the biggest issue you have, you know, you were talking about mental health and even like getting kids screened or vaccines and shots. Uh, you know, kids, maybe as as we talk on the radio every day about this virus, I'm sure that trickles into homes and that trickles into parents talking. And then maybe kids are always thinking about the virus, too. What what would you say may, are, are some of the bigger problems when it comes to that and kids and the virus, I guess? Um, what we know so far about the virus is kids don't seem to be as affected as frequently as adults. Um, and when they do get sick, they're less likely to be severely sick. Um, that being said, their entire world's been turned upside down. You know, they're no longer going to daycare or school. Um, they can't see their grandparents. They, um, you know, cherish friends, people that they are used to spending time with. That whole thing has changed. And so that stress that we're all feeling as well, children are feeling, um, not even understanding exactly what it was, but what they do understand is this is not normal, um, you know, not to go to school, um, to try to do schoolwork at home. I think that's been a surprisingly difficult challenge for a lot of families helping kids um, learn in that different environment. It's more distracting to be at home, and there isn't always the structure that they have at school. Um, so just trying to cope with that and reassure kids this isn't permanent. This is a short-term situation that we're in that will eventually get back to some semblance of normal at some point. Um, and just finding ways to cope with that stress. Um, you know, I think the uncertainty is hard for adults even. So you can imagine for children not really understanding um, what's going on, how it could affect them, um, it creates anxiety, um, sadness and has really affected kids what are some of the solutions there you talk about like they're not getting to see their grandparents they're 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 not in the structure of school would you say like hey every tuesday we call grandma every you know do, do you add some structure yes. even like yes. phone calls yeah, or even really like, creating that structure like this we're going to try to stick to somewhat like what a school day is like i think has been helpful a lot of parents say for their kids like you're going to get up you're going to get dressed you're going to have breakfast we're going to and they make you know, making a little calendar, okay, we're going to spend one hour doing schoolwork, then we're going to go out and play for an hour, and then we're going to have quiet time or rest time, then we're going to have a snack, and just kind of so kids know what to expect. That's how school is structured, and, and, and that helps them know what's next and feel comfortable with what's coming. And I think for the parents who are feeling burnt out with all of this extra work that they're doing, reaching out to grandparents, to neighbors, to friends. If you can't be in person, can they read the bedtime story to them? Can they play a game, you know, a card game or Monopoly or something like that online or, or by video? Um, just having that connection to those people are all still out there and they still want to be in touch with you, but it just has to be different. It can't well, be physical or in person. One of my friends posted on Facebook, and the, the the school part we can leave out, but my my poor daughter has been sitting on the couch for seven weeks, he wrote. Too late to reopen schools. And then in the comments, he writes, uh, she sleeps till noon, does schoolwork on the couch. We don't have a kitchen table uh, or a basement. So, yeah, basically couch and bedroom, shelter in place. Like, uh, it, Do you have advice for parents like that where the kid just – I, I don't know. I, I, I could I could scream at him some things, but maybe you could yeah, do so a little bit Yeah, you know, more. I don't know that screaming is <laughs> helpful. I feel like just giving grace that this is tough. 
and you might not have the perfect office setup. Um, you might not have a desk or um, that type of thing. So trying to create some structure to the best that you can. Um, and, and the couch might be the only place where you can have a comfortable seat and do it. And um, But I think trying to um, not just do that, be on the couch or, you know, sleep, go outside, go for walks, you know, turn on the music, have a dance party, um, you know, do things to keep active and I, it is hard. I, I mean, it's there's no denying it. This is not anything we've prepared for or envisioned or or knew how to cope with. So, you know, I give parents credit for just kind of holding together the fort and the calmness that that they need to get through this because it's it's really not very easy. And you know, especially when you're stressed about just the basics in life. You know, rent, food, a job, health care. Um, you know, to suddenly not have access to those things or the usual access that you have is has been difficult. I think the underlying tone here with my friend too is in his Facebook feed is a little bit like that is I think he's having to deal with a lot of this. He's at home. His kids are always there. Uh, he's used to, you know, working 10, 12 hour days. So, um, you know, there's, I don't know how much advice you, you have to also give to the parents when you see them, Hey, you know, your kids need to cope with this and you need structure, but Hey, parents also, you know, maybe you need to. Right. Yeah. You need to have some time away, a break, you know, parents should be getting out to try to exercise. Um, we've had, I've had parents telling me how they started doing mindfulness with their kids at bedtime just to kind of get everybody calmed back down to where they, it's doable um, because it does get overwhelming. And when parents are overwhelmed or frustrated or burnt out, the kids are going to sense that. And that just is scarier for them to see that their parents having a hard time coping. So, um, you know, taking a break, trying to be flexible, getting that help or support, reaching out to other people, um, you know, in a time like that so you don't feel overwhelmed. It, it's very overwhelming, the situation for parents and for kids. And last question for you, Dr. Brum, pediatrician at Mayo. The, we, we talked a little bit about vaccines. Are, are you seeing like a where, where parents maybe are skipping that for now? Or do parents need to come in and get those shots and those wellness checkups uh, now that the, the hospital's kind of reopening, too, a little bit to, mm-hmm. to do that. Yep. yep, we are opening up access and having more visits. We kept doing them throughout, but, you know, people were reluctant to come in at some point, and we need to, now that we have a safe way to give shots, um, we're encouraging people to come in and update, especially the younger kids, you know, five and under. They need to make sure they're up to date with their measles. One thing we're worried about is there's been a 40% decrease um reported by the state of Minnesota on the MMR vaccine being given. And, um, we, well, we don't want to follow COVID, um, you know, a pandemic with is another um, vaccine-preventable um, epidemic like measles. So um, we're allowing nurse-only visits where the patient brings the child in just to see the nurse if they don't need a checkup and they miss their shots. And if they need a checkup, we're doing, you know, just kind of catch-up time right now to the kids that haven't had their checkups in the last few months um, in a safe, you know, way and trying to prevent that type of um, illness from making its way back due to the low vaccine rate. We don't have drive through vaccines yet? Well, <laughs> we have gone out kidding. to the parking lot to give some if people were anxious about coming into our office. So we're doing the drive-by no swab and I don't think we're too far away from routinely doing shots in a drive-by way. <laughs> yeah, we got to look at veterinary clinics and see how they do it, and then we can go do that in the hospital. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, all right, thanks a lot, Dr. Brum, for, for joining us and enlightening us with uh, some of this information. No problem. Have a good night. You too.
All right, we're going to take that last quick break, and we're going to try to talk. We're going to answer one question about high school football when we come back on Wizzup. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. A couple minutes left, 608-785-7914 if you want to get in here quick. Uh, we did have a question from Evan and LaCrescent just asking a little bit about high school football. And Grant, we, we're ramping you up for the Wisco Sports Show starting back up on WKTY on Monday. But Evan did ask, do you think there will be any high school football games in the fall in our area or will, the re- will there be restrictions? And uh, he said, he also said, I hope everything gets back to normal before then, but it wouldn't surprise me if things were, you know, that far ahead were impacted. And I always point to uh, Germany canceled Oktoberfest. So are we going to have high school football? Uh, I don't know. Germany, I mean, Germany also is starting their soccer league up in the next week or two because they're testing at an unreal rate and 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 they've just been killing it. So Germany did cancel its Oktoberfest, but they are getting sports rolling and, and the United States is obviously watching that. Here's my here's my question, Rick, with sports coming back. This is the question that I can't get over, and I think until this is answered, we can't go back to having sports. What happens when somebody tests positive, right? It could be Major League Baseball, NBA, high school sports. What happens when one athlete tests positive for a coronavirus, right? Do we shut it all down? Because if that's the case, then we're not ready to bring back sports. But if if we're okay to say, okay— we're going to isolate, you know, teammates or we're going to reschedule games, right? Because if one person gets it, which is almost a certainty, if that causes every other game to be canceled, then we're not starting yet. There's no reason to. So that needs to be figured out. Well, and then is, if high school sports or high school football is going on, does that mean high school is back in session uh, where people are going to school again? Because then let's say you get a football player. Or, you know, a volleyball player, whatever sport goes on in the fall, soccer too. I think soccer might be the worst one because the kids are, you know, there's no, not even a mouth guard where they're, you know, that's in their mouth or a face mask or Mm -hmm. pads to kind of, they're protected. Soccer's pretty contact sport. Uh, Those people get in contact with one another. Somebody has the virus. The virus is spread throughout maybe the team. And then those kids go to school, like literally go to school and uh, they interact there at school. Like, I don't know, like, it just seems highly unlikely at this point until we get a vaccine and treatment that uh, anything like that, especially at the high school level where money is tight and testing would not be prevalent. Uh, it's really hard to believe that the, any of that would get back, right? My belief, schools are going to be open this fall. They need to be open. They need to find a way to make it work. And if schools are open, you might as well play sports. That's my take on it. There's a lot that needs to be figured out, but that's where I stand on it. Yeah, currently. hopefully in two months we get like an insta-test. Insta-test. All right, that's what we're hoping for. We'll be